Welcome to the Debrief Podcast with Matt Brown, the podcast where pastor and author Matt Brown debriefs your questions about Christianity and current issues shaping our culture. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Hey, well, welcome back to another episode of the Debrief Podcast with my best friend and my husband, Matthew Stephen Brown. I'm Tammy Brown, and I'm super excited to get to be your co-host today. Yeah, me too. Hey, my love. Yes. Um, what we didn't know was I left the house early this morning yep. in an all-black attire mm-hmm. with my cream-colored Converse on. Right. You were in workout clothes. I was. Headed to the gym. Mm-hmm. And you show up here in my identical outfit. No, it's because I want to be like you. With cream. I don't just love you, I want to become you. It's I just felt like that was a noteworthy thing to say. For those those who are not watching on YouTube, it's pretty hilarious. We literally (laughs) have the same clothes. Down to the shoe. We are exact. That's what happens with old married couples. They start like becoming Mm -hmm. each other, I think. So weird. I'm becoming prettier. I'm becoming wiser. That's good. Well, we have some really great questions today, a couple that I can really relate with. So let's jump right into those. This first one comes from Hannah from the gorgeous local mountain town near us called Lake Arrowhead, California. Love Lake Arrowhead. Um, Hannah says this, my father has been an alcoholic my entire life. I'm 24 and so tired of dealing with it. I begged God as a little girl for my dad's salvation and his sobriety. And I won't lie, I re- I rarely pray that prayer anymore. I rarely speak to my father outside of holidays, and he'll occasionally send me texts when he's in an emotional drunkenness. He recently just fell and hit his head on concrete, which resulted in staples in his head. I'm not sure what to do at this point. What do I even pray for? Do I pray for his sobriety still? Do I pray that God protects our hearts from his possible dying? I am so frustrated, and I wish God would just change his heart. I, as you know, couldn't relate so much to you, Hannah. Um, I did grow up. My dad was an alcoholic growing up. So I understand those emotional texts that um, come in, not text messages when I was growing yeah. up, just the emotional like state of mind when it just so much to handle and then the behavior is so different and it's so much to process. So I I hear you, and but I think that's such a good question. And I can, I can relate to the fatigue of prayer. Mm-hmm. But what would you say to that? What yeah. do I even pray for anymore? Yeah. So, and, and I want all of our listeners, and this is why I think it's so important that A, you listen to the show, B, that you are continuing to grow in your theology, because this sounds like a question about my dad, mm-hmm. but this is really a question about God. That's really what it's about. And so this is why our theology matters. What do I believe about God? Mm-hmm. And some of you have heard on the show uh, me talk about Calvinists. Calvinists, some of them are my good friends, but they believe that, like I believe, so we both believe God is in control of all things. So we believe that God is in control, but God is not, in my theology, determining all things. So he determines some things, mm-hmm. but he does not determine all things. And why is that? Because God, as he reveals himself in scripture, has four things. God is light, God is spirit, God is a consuming fire, and God is love. Those are the four fa- uh, famous is's, God is, in the Christian Bible. So the Hebrews have, you know, their Hebrew Bible where it gives us, you know, God is Jehovah Jireh, you know, Mm -hmm, my provider. mm -hmm. So, so I'm not saying, so I'm not commenting on how the Jews define God, but for the Christian scriptures, God is four things. And one of those things is love. And so love demands freedom of choice. And so here's the issue, Hannah. I believe God's heart breaks for Hannah. Mm -hmm. God's heart breaks for Hannah's dad. Mm -hmm. God wants and desires that Hannah's dad would be sober, that he would call upon him, that he would repent of his sins and change. 
But really, there's there's three elements that prevent change. And you and I were talking about this the other day in the backyard because um, you, you were like, oh, that's so wise. And it's like, well, I was thinking about it for this, for Hannah's question. So there's really things, three things that prevent change. One is stubbornness. All three are S's. Uh, so stubbornness. And, and people just get locked in and I don't need to change. It's the world that needs to change around me. And many alcoholics drink because of their dissatisfaction and frustration with the world. Mm-hmm. They drink to deal with their anxiety, their worry, their fear, or to just take some edge off. So they can't deal with the world around them. So alcohol temporarily allows them to numb themselves from that. Mm-hmm. So they're just stubbornness. They're just stubbornly locked in that. And so here's the thing, Hannah, the Lord is not going to make, no matter how many times you pray, God will not make mm-hmm. your dad change. Because if he does that, then your dad is a robot. I'm a robot. I do not believe God created automatons, and you can Google that. Uh, but that's basically that beings that that operate without free will. We are not robots. Mm-hmm. We are free individuals, and our choices matter. So, Hannah, I'm so sorry for your pain. I'm so sorry for your heartache. Um, the next thing, and I've seen this over and over again, and, and, and I hate to use this word. Uh, I know Tammy loves it when I use words like this, but it's stupidity. People don't change because they're stupid. Now, for everybody who's horrified and you have kids in the car, there's an entire book of the Bible about stupid people. It's called Proverbs. <laughs> so the old translations call it the fool. Mm-hmm. But if you look at newer translations, it says the stupid person does. And so a stupid person, a foolish person, is a person who keeps doing the same thing regardless of the consequence. They never change. They never grow. It's everybody else's fault. They're, they're always the victim. And so we have stubbornness. I'm just locked into this, and I just refuse to acknowledge my sin. And then there's stupidity. I refuse to take responsibility for my sin. And then there's a third thing. So the Spirit is what enables people to change, the Spirit of God. But you can resist the Spirit. And so what we can ask the Holy Spirit to do is to convict our loved ones. But ultimately, what really needs to happen, Hannah, and this is so hard at your age, is your dad needs to, and they say this all the time in AA, he needs to hit his rock bottom. Mm-hmm. Now, you and I both know we've loved people where we think, oh, that's the bottom. And then we didn't know there was a basement. And then we didn't know there was a cave system. And they just keep some dropping. Some people's bottom Yeah, is some people's bottom far. is like, yeah, it, they just keep, you know, falling all the way down. Like when you and I look at a homeless person, I would do everything in my power to not be in that place. But mm-hmm. for some people, right, that's they're okay with that. And that's not to mock or, or make fun of homeless people. It's just to say some people are okay with a much lower bottom than I'm okay with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to know that I have food to eat. I want to know that I have shelter over my head, a, ba- a toilet to use. And so I'm going to go to work so that I have those things. Some people are like, yeah, uh, you know, I don't need those things. They have a well, different bottom. Well, and some of it is they have a different tolerance or need yeah. for those things. And some of it is they don't have the mental capacity to even make right. those kind of decisions. Yeah. So, so there's, yeah. So that, that, thank you for saving me for that. So there are, there are mental illnesses and things that are there too. But, but oftentimes when you're loving a person with drug addiction, they will continue in that. And if we're not careful, what we will do is we'll, we'll blame God. And here's why Hannah, it's a whole lot easier to be angry at God than it is your own dad. Mm-hmm. And so what we do is we blame our heavenly father for our earthly parents' decisions. And so, what kind of decisions has your heavenly father made? He sent his son to die for you on the cross to save you. Before, before you were ever made, Hannah, God knew that you would be a sinner. God knew that your dad would be a sinner. And he preemptively predetermined that Christ would come and die for you because that's the kind of dad our father mm-hmm. in heaven is. So he loves us. He protects us. He's the kind of father we all want. And so what I would say is, is I would pray that your dad would hit rock bottom, whatever that is. That's a scary prayer because for sometimes it's a near death experience for people. Mm-hmm. And then even sometimes Hannah, unfortunately, even near death doesn't change people. Well, and rock bottom experience is yeah. also 
they might create some situations where boundaries have to be made that you can't come back from in the same way. Right. And so, and that's another thing is Hannah, what I would encourage you to do as you pray for your dad, I would pray to God, what are the boundaries that I need to mm-hmm. create? Because is it's not okay for your dad in his drunkenness to call you, to blame you, to manipulate you, to make you feel terrible or guilty. And I was just praying with the young man in our church and uh, his wife and himself had actually separated. They were separated and living in different houses. And for no reason other than he had to move his father, who's in his late seventies into his home. And so, so here's the thing, Hannah, some people never change. Some dads mm-hmm. never change. And so this dad is almost in his 80s, homeless, struggling with addiction, lost everything. And now this son who loves him because he couldn't draw a boundary mm-hmm. is potentially losing his wife because of his father. Mm-hmm. And he means well. He mm-hmm. means well, right? You want to honor your father. You want to be there for your father. But it's like, look, you have kids. You have a family. Mm-hmm. You have to make better choices than your dad. And one of those choices is boundaries from your dad. And so we are working through all that. So what I would just say, Hannah, is um, really talk to God about your frustration with your dad's choices and ask the Lord to intervene by all means to give your Mm -hmm. dad the best opportunity to change. So what are some things God will change? If there's anything demonic involved in this, you can ask the Lord to take away the Mm -hmm. enemy, the devil. Mm -hmm. And the Lord will do that. The Lord will kick the devil's butt whenever we ask. And so if we just ask him, Lord, get the devil out of here, um, he will do that so that your dad has... Um, a higher probability of seeing his sins and repenting. And and we can just pray a spirit of conviction on him and and that God would put people in his life that maybe maybe it's simply as someone that runs into him and says, hey, I used to have a, a drinking problem and I changed and here's how. Mm-hmm. So that the Lord would bring, the Lord would take away evil things and then the Lord would put good things in his life. And And I think the hardest person to change is people in your own family. I just think that's really, really hard. And no matter what, Hannah, you're always going to be his little girl. And it's really hard for parents to learn from their kids. Yeah. So that, that's what I was going to say is there. there's one point here that all of what you just said, I agree with. But I, I think there's one other aspect that comes to mind for me. And um, yes, I think it's important to pray for your dad's salvation as yes. you would anybody. But Hannah, what I what I'm thinking of is I would pray for your dad. Um, and I know stay with me on this because I know it's going to sound a little bit crazy at first, but I would pray that you have an empathy for your dad because a lot of people turn to alcohol and substance abuse, which your dad sounds like he's at a place now where there's probably a lot of physical things. There's an addiction there, like his body craves it and needs it in his brain, but they, they do it to turn away from shame that they have. And so whenever this started for your dad, I would imagine there's something that he's feeling inadequate. He was feeling inadequate in ashamed of, a coping, trying to hide from everything he feels is deficient about himself. Um, And that shame, the enemy just uses shame to pile and pile and pile. And now there's probably shame and I'm not, a you know, there's part of him that knows he's not a good dad. That's why you're getting these emotional texts from him when he's drunk. Um, And so just, just like, if you can see your dad, you know, that I understand having an anger towards a dad that. It's like, get it together. You have kids, you have a family. And you know, Matt, that I've had to come to place in life where I'm like, I need to start looking at my downline, (laughs) my own children and the kind of person I want to be. And I can't constantly be giving all this emotional energy to what we would refer to as my upline, my parents. Um, But pray for him as you would just any broken person. It's so hard to see your your parents as broken people because you need them and want them to be healthy 
and a model for where you're going right. in life. Yeah. Um, but just to pray for him that he can find his self-worth, forgive himself. And yeah. th- those will be some of the building bro- blocks potentially to start finding some kind of sobriety, some kind of value, some kind of worth. Um but I don't, I, I do think that boundary of getting off the crazy roller yeah. coaster that is required to manage relationship with people in addictive lifestyles. I mean, mm-hmm. it is a roller coaster in every way. And, and there is a grieving that you will go through mm-hmm. because you, you are wrestling with the dad you wanted with the dad you have. Yeah. And there's a grieving that you need to allow for yourself there, Hannah. And that's a grieving to go to the Lord with. And like, yeah. you know, my heart is broken. It's also a place to ground yourself in your relationship with God because he is the father that your father isn't. Right. Which is all of our roots go deep when we start seeing God and knowing like he, this, my father's not everything I wanted, wished and deserved to be, but you are God. So Hannah, thank you so much for this prayer. Yeah. And we're praying for you, and but it's okay to have boundaries. A- I think absolutely. a lot of Christians, a lot of Christians are afraid to. They think boundaries. it's unchristian to yeah. set a boundary because it might hurt someone's feelings and we're supposed to be love and. Yeah. And, and what I always and, point people to is revelation 22. When God, Jesus creates the new heaven and the new earth, even the new heaven has a, a, a wall around it. Mm. Why is that? Because boundaries are good things. Yeah. And so even in the new earth, there's a boundary and that's important. And what does it say? It says the wall is there so that murderers, cowards, and I forget what the the third adjective is that described there, the dogs Mm -hmm. uh, will not enter. And so, um, so, so even in the next life, God is going to protect us with healthy Mm -hmm. boundaries. So Mm -hmm. that's, I'm going to add one thing that is one way that I coped with having an alcoholic father is I learned a lot. I, I got to a place where I could not just focus on the struggles of my dad, but you know this and my kids know this. Now I learned a lot of what I didn't want to be. And I, Hannah, you're 24. You have so much life ahead of you. If you are not careful, you might turn to the wrong things to deal with the pain that you're experiencing from the situation with your dad, which might be how he got in his same situation Mm -hmm. is turning from pain. So if I were you, you know, just to really be conscious of all of all, what, what you're doing with this pain, Mm -hmm. what you're turning to in this way to, to get out of the situation and use this as a motivation to guard yourself from relying on anything but Jesus. Yeah, that's a good word. So, okay. Um, our next question comes from Sienna. She is from Phoenix, Phoenix, Arizona. And it says this, this one gave me a little laugh because just felt personal in our marriage. I mean, yes. What is your best advice to handle conflict in a marriage, (laughs) especially when words are said that cannot be taken back and continually cause hurt in future arguments? Yeah, yeah. So Tammy's, you know, (laughs) saying this because whenever we fight, we are completely in two different corners. She can't unhear anything I've said. And I usually have no memory. You wouldn't have said it. I don't usually don't have any (laughs) memory of anything I said. And so, you know, oftentimes, and so, so in that, right, there's also what Tammy's afraid I'm saying. So she, Mm. she's not just, she's not the court reporter in the room taking notes because she's filtering everything through emotion. I'm talking about you like you're not right here. Um, And I'm, and I'm saying things through emotion. And so emotion clouds what we hear 
that's said to us and what we're saying. Uh, and mm-hmm. so what does that mean? So I emotionally am filtering what I'm saying based upon my best intentions. You are hearing emotionally what I'm saying based upon your worst fears. And so mm-hmm. that's where this, yes. this thing comes at. And so that's where wounding needs to be revealed and we need to go to counseling and work through that because what I would say is there potentially you grew up in a home where horrific things were said. Mm-hmm. And man, it's just so hard to get over uh, your childhood when, you know, awful things were said to you, you know, you're never going to be this or who do you think you are? And, and oftentimes, you know, we just talk about abuse in terms of physical abuse, which is terrible, but, but many of us grew up with loved ones who were verbally abusive. Mm -hmm. And so what I would do is, I mean, literally what you can do is you can record it when you start fighting, you both need to agree, don't do it secretly but record it and then listen back to see what was said. Because the truth is only God knows because you were both upset. But but here's the thing is um, you need to forgive if your spouse is willing to forgive you. What did they say at the end of that? Is They said, how do you move forward when you can't move past things that have been said? That cannot be taken back and continually cause hurt in future arguments. Right. And so, you know, for anybody who's married, I mean, I think marriage is just a series of fights over the same issue your whole life until you die. <laughs> You're that, not wrong. That's what I think it is. And, and and the reason that is, is because we're so entrenched in our corners and the way that mm. the Bible describes marriage is the two becoming one flesh. And what we want to do is we want to make one piece out of two people. And it's just like, no, no, no. The best and healthiest marriage is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we both do that. Specifically, Paul says in Ephesians that women, this means you respect your husband. And, and you care for them. Men are more sensitive than you think. And then men, this means that you love your wife like Christ loved the church, trying to die for her, attempting to die for her every day to make her holy and pure. Women all feel like they're not good enough, not beautiful enough. Um, and, and so the whole, idea, the whole idea of holiness in Ephesians is not moral perfection, it's perfection. And right, mm-hmm. that's what all women feel like. I'm not good enough. My nose is too big. My legs are too big. My legs are too short. Like all of these criticisms. So how do I... How do I serve her in such a way that she feels um, maybe not perfect, but perfect for me? Because the truth is, I mean, mm-hmm. you're not perfect, but you are perfect for me. And so how do mm-hmm. I how do I make you feel safe and secure in that? Mm-hmm. And, and the, the thing I would say is, is the best way to move forward is for both parties to die to themselves. But if both can't die to themselves, one, and you're the one sending in the question, what I would say, go first. The strongest Christian needs to die first in the marriage. And so you have to go first and you have to say, okay, I need to, I need to be, I need to ask for forgiveness. And, and even if like, if you started the fight, Tammy, you just picked a fight. I'm sure that hypothetically, hypothetically, I'm sure that there would be some things that I would done having been innocently attacked. There would have been some things that I would have done, said, responded to, uh, repeated back that are worthy of repentance. And so that's what I think most people miss is like, well, you started, okay, but what was your part in the greater fight? Yeah, the idea of you started it may or may not be true, but it's not helpful. Yeah, (laughs) It's never helpful. I would say, here's what I'm curious about in this question. Words are said that cannot be taken back and continually cause hurt in future arguments. The, the bringing old arguments into future arguments, that's something that this question has me curious about is because there's some things that whatever that is, you're probably referring to a couple things that she can, you, Sienna, you can think of in your mind right now. When you're not in an argument, I think you might want to say something like, when you said this, 
Can you can you elaborate on that? Because you may be interpreting what they meant by it mm-hmm. in a way. Because you and I have that all the time. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, well, you said that I was emotional. You're like, well, what I meant was in that moment. I'm like, yeah. okay, but you blanket stated like I'm. That's how I am all the time. Right. So maybe when you're not in an argument, whatever those things are that are l- lingering that cause future hurt in arguments. Maybe bring up one and maybe say, can you give me an example of when I did that? Have I been doing better at that? Yeah. What, like, how else could I rephrase that? Like, I think there's some things here that need to maybe be talked about when we're not in an argument. Because you may be being hurt in a future argument from an interpretation that was never even meant in the first place back when. Yeah, and what I would say is the best thing to change if, you want, if you're stuck in a marriage and you're stuck in a fight is it's not just to change how you talk about things, but when you talk about things. And so take a moment. I'm just not good at night in bed. Tammy, Tammy, <laughs> Matt doesn't love Tammy right loves, before sleep. Tammy loves <laughs> to solve all of our problems right before we go to sleep. And then she's over there snoring and I'm like, okay, the world is going to an end. And I get super, I'm just not great at night. You are much better. Like when our kids will come home, you're much better at, okay, it's 1230. It does AM. It doesn't matter. Like I'm going to be right there. I'm like, I don't care. Like, wrap you know, it up. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, I just, so I'm just not good at in the evening. Um, I, I'm not good when I'm tired. I'm not good when I'm frustrated, irritable. Like, so, so let's take a moment, take a step back. And so when we're, neither of us are frustrated and mm-hmm. we're, and, and, yeah. and the tendency is to talk about things when we're in a bad place, learn to be brave that's, enough yeah, to talk about point. things when you're in a good place. Like, mm-hmm. You know, and, and, you know, have these discussions, you know, like if you're married right after you've had sex and you've been on vacation, Hey, can we, can we talk about some things? And, and it's not ignoring it saying, Hey, a couple of weeks ago, you said this. And then I said, you know, I think about our argument. I think it was in January when we were talking about boundaries. And what I meant to tell you was you've, it was late at night, you've placed a boundary and there are consequences to boundaries. And what I mean by that is what you heard was it's your fault you did wrong. Do you, know, mm. do you remember this argument? Mm-hmm. What I meant was whenever we create a boundary, what we hope for is that the people that we love will go, oh, and respect the boundary mm-hmm. and then make changes according to the healthy boundary that we set. Unfortunately, what unhealthy people do is they ignore the boundary mm-hmm. or, you know, and, and that's what was happening. And what I was trying to help you understand is you, you have created a boundary that's healthy, that's good, but it's caused pain. And that's, that's mm-hmm. hard sometimes yeah. to do the right thing and experience the wrong response. And so, but it was late at night. Yeah. It was in the dark. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, can we all just go to bed? But, <laughs> but I had, I'm I had like, stirred oh, some, in it now. I had stirred some things in you and I wasn't at my best and it just wasn't the, what, and what mm. I should have said is, you know what, let's, let's go to sleep. Let's have coffee in the morning. And right after coffee, let's talk about this because man, boundaries are tough. And then mm-hmm. I should have prayed for you and we should have mm-hmm. gone to bed and it would have been fine. So it's not just a matter of, should we talk about this? It's when, when is the best mm-hmm. time to talk about this? Because that is so helpful. And don't like freak your spouse out. Like on Friday, I want to talk about some things in our marriage that I'm unhappy with. Cause I know if I said that to you, you're tanking all the week till yes, Friday. Don't so, do that. Yeah. So what I would say is, Hey, this Friday, can we talk about boundaries. We kind of talked about it a couple nights ago and mm-hmm. I, I, I wasn't in the right place and I want to finish that conversation because you're important to me. And I realize this is a big deal for you. So, so specifically give the topic without saying, uh, you know, another way to say, I want to, I want to talk on Friday about how you suck at boundaries. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> what, what that's saying is I want to fight about this right now. Yeah. And, and you then again later. Yeah. And you don't suck at boundaries. I'm just saying there's a way to say it that, mm-hmm. 
Because the truth is, I, I start struggle with boundaries. Because when you love somebody, it's so hard to create a boundary. So Yeah. And again, um, Sienna, thank you so much for this question. Again, I think so much of conflict happens because we interpret the meaning of words differently yeah. based on our experience, our past use with that word, with that situation is trigger everything. I think it's always such because we've had times where I just said, when you said that, that really hurt my feelings. You're like, oh, I, I right. well, here's what I meant. I'm like, but when I hear that word, I think this. Mm -hmm. And so that's where so much of the miss happens. So I, again, think clarity in how the person is defining word. Cause even in that conversation, I mean, well, what I really mean is mm -hmm. this other word. And you're like, Oh, that doesn't hurt my feelings at all. So I think it's so important because I'm right. such, you know, I'm yeah, yeah. such a literal words person yep. that sometimes you'll use words and I'm like, that is terrible. But you're like, well, what I mean is this. I'm like, that's not what that word means. Yeah. But now the fight's already happened. So clarity, mm -hmm. clarity is so good. And then I would say this for anybody who keeps fighting, what I found myself doing, you know, Tammy and I just wrapped up, marriage counseling. I think it was our 10th lap around the marriage counseling tour. Um, <laughs> we but, graduated. But, but we graduated. We did good. And, and one of the things Thank I you, think that, yeah, that Mark um, Cameron, he's on the radio in um, Orange County. What, what program is he on? I can't remember. Sorry, Mark. Remember. <laughs> yeah, he has literally where people will call into the show and he answers them. But We're going to have him on the podcast. Yeah, we're going to have him on the podcast. But one of the things Mark challenged me when we were in a tough uh, disagreement was you know, he's, he's, he's Irish, he's English. He's like, Matt, you're explaining, you're not, you're not apologizing. And that was a terrible English accent, but, um, <laughs> but I needed to hear that from another person because what I, what he meant by Matt, you're explaining what I was doing was excusing why your feelings mm. weren't accurate and right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, and he just encouraged me, I don't know if you remember to say, I'm sorry. And you have value. And he just really challenged me to cut the excuses and then just get to the apology. Mm -hmm. And it was like a three day disagreement. And he helped me do that. And so I think that, you know, be the first to apologize, be, apologize quickly and don't make excuses. I'm sorry, but because I'm the mm -hmm. great at, I'm great at the excuse part. So thank you. Yeah. That's great, a great question. question. Be praying for you and your marriage. This next question I love how well it's articulated, but it's from Emma from Grand Rapids, Michigan. It says, my husband and I are in leadership at our local church, and we have enjoyed your content and sermons for the last couple of years online. Specifically, what you have shared on the Enneagram through the lens of God. We loved your book. Oh, my you. husband is a licensed professional counselor and operates as a deacon overseeing pastor pastoral care on counseling part-time on staff for the pastoral care team. He also owns his own private practice. I've heard you talk about soul care within your church, and I'm wondering how you view pastoral care, soul care, and professional counseling within the church. Do the therapists have to be licensed and vetted by the church? Do you have a care team who are unlicensed? Thank you for all you do. We appreciate and value you outside of your own church body. Oh, thank you so much. I know, right? By the way, Grand Rapids is a beautiful city. I mean, I, I can't think of a city that I've, I've been, been to. to Detroit. Yeah, I've never, I've never been to Detroit. I cannot think of a city that surprised me more than Grand Rapids. Really? It was absolutely beautiful. I went there with Dan Crowley and I forget who else a couple of years ago. Um, but just, just a couple hours outside of Chicago, absolutely stunning uh, city, beautiful city. So, so love you. I think it's where Zondervan is based, uh, Zondervan oh, Publishing. So, yeah. That's why yeah. I went there. Uh, Zondervan did not sign me. So, so poo-poo on Grand so Rapids. So you won't be going back. Yeah, I won't be going back. <laughs> um, but, um, Thank you, Word Publishing. So I don't know where they're based in New York. I don't know. Anyways, um, 
Thank you so much for your question. So, so really early on, we, we had counseling and it was a conscious decision to move to soul care and not counseling. And, and, and the reason for that was we were a small church and we were a poor church and we, we couldn't afford counseling. Most of the people at Sandals when we started off could not afford to pay for counseling. And one of the things I realized, and I wish that all ministers would just wear a badge on their chest that said, I am not a counselor. I'm not a therapist. I can't stand it when pastors try to act like clinically trained therapists. Mm -hmm. You can get in a lot of trouble because you cannot identify. You know, I think about you and I when we were we were young and we had Rob in our small group. And I can talk about Rob because he's dead. Um, but Rob had, what disease did he have? Uh, paranoid schizophrenia. Yeah, schizophrenia. And we would be in small group with this guy. And I mean, I'm like, what the heck's wrong with Rob? Like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, you know, you know me. I just, I just blurt things out. I'm like, Rob, something's wrong with you. Yes, and, you do. Yeah, I do. I blurt it out. <laughs> and uh, Rob uh, wanted to go to seminary, and he remember he gave me his his uh, paper to yeah, go to seminary, and I I said, you don't want me to sign that. And he's like, no, I have to have my pastor sign this. And I wrote, remember in red ink, yeah. I wrote in giant letters, "Do not admit." I was like, oh, I know. How could you do that? That was me. Um, and they admitted him. You know, I'm not going to yeah. say who, but sounds a lot like Biola. Um, yeah. So, and I love Biola. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, uh, I'm a, uh, I'm a, uh, I'm a what do you call it? I'm a grad student from Biola. So, uh, love Biola, but they, they, they overrode that. And so anyways, I missed it. Biola missed it. And that's he, assuming Rob turned it in though, right? So. He did. No, he did. Oh, you forgot that the missions counselor called me and said, oh, that's right. he said, that's I've right. never seen that's a reference right. like this in my life. So. But Rob ended up homeless, you remember, on the streets. Yes, and and because sad. he was paranoid schizophrenic, he lost his marriage. And, and we, because we were not clinically trained, we knew that Rob had problems. Mm -hmm. But we did not understand and did not know how to identify, this is paranoid schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you, I don't care who you are as a small group leader, that's a problem. <laughs> he was a challenge in our small group. And his poor wife didn't understand yeah. because her husband was changing. Mm -hmm. He was not the same as when they got married and his, as his disease developed, he got otter and otter and otter. And, um, you know, my, my favorite part is when I was at In-N-Out Burger and I saw him in a car with another woman Remember, I pulled him out of the car. I almost started to fight in In-N-Out Burger. I'm like, what are you doing in this car with this other woman? He's like, yeah, cause he, it wasn't his fault. He was, yeah, he's, he, was, he had lost it. Yeah. But, um, but we were not clinically trained. And so what I would say what we do, so here's what soul care is. Soul care is helping a Christian. It's one Christian who's trained helping another Christian hear from God. Mm -hmm. What is God saying? A counselor is a uh, legally trained person who's trained in psychosis, who's trained in missile di uh, mental disorders, who can help you, you know, overcome trauma. So I believe that, th that there's a place for the spirit. The spirit mm -hmm. does a work. But oftentimes, and what was her name? Emma. Emma. So I have a book coming out March 5th of 2024. And I think it's, I can't remember. I think it's chapter 10. And the chapter is the complexity of healing. Mm -hmm. and, and, and what I think people need to understand and why I think so many people do not experience healing is we are a complex, per, uh, an, an individual is complex. So I am spiritual. I'm emotional and I'm biological. So if I go to the doctor, they're going to look at the biological. If I go to a therapist, they're going to look at the emotional, psychological. If I go to church, right, it's all spiritual. Well, I think for healing, we need all three. So the place of soul care at our church is to invoke the spirit. What is the spirit of God saying? Sometimes God is saying you need counseling. Mm -hmm. And we are not counselors. And mm -hmm. I lose my mind when we try to act like that because we're not trained. We don't know. Um, and I think pastors get exhausted counseling because people would love to come for free and take three hours of your life and not listen. 
I think it's important to pay for your counseling so that you realize you have there's um, an investment. Some investment. And so so, so I divide that. Um, I think that sometimes people in counseling need soul care because we need to ask, where is the spirit of God in this? Mm-hmm. What is God mm-hmm. saying? What is God moving you to do? And so all soul care is, it's just like what it sounds. It's, it's speaking to the soul. It's speaking to the spiritual truth of the person, to the spiritual reality of a person. But I think that what you guys do at your church with clinical psychology is essential Mm -hmm. because so many of the issues that we're facing as a church now are so complex. And um, it's Emma, right? Yeah. Emma, uh, one of the things I talk about in the book, when Jesus meets the the naked man at the tomb, Mm -hmm. um, he says, what is your name? I say in the book, and I make the argument that Jesus is clinically diagnosing the man. He's mm-hmm. saying, what is it that is that you're dealing with? And that's why a clinician is so important. You and I knew something was wrong with Rob. Mm-hmm. Everyone in our group knew. We needed a clinician to diagnose the issue so that we could begin praying with it. And, and, and I just believe if Rob could have got treatment earlier on, there may have been a different outcome. And he's, he's passed away now. Okay, let me ask you this, though. Yeah. She's, she's asking um, a little bit like how about pastoral care versus soul care versus professional counseling. How would you distinguish between pastoral care and soul care? Because here at Sanders, we have our pastors who are most, you know, have the degrees, have some training. We try to do a good job of training our, our pastors to do some basic, all the basic soul care things. How do you be a good listener? What are good mm. questions to have? How to be a good heart handler? Um, we we do a lot of that with our pastoral team on top of the education and training and experience they've had. So we have our pastoral team. Then we do have right, people care. in our church that are soul care slash licensed ministers in our church who get a different kind. So how would you distinguish just the function of those two things at our church? Yeah, so at our church, you know, so in the book of Acts uh, chapter 6, the apostles are, are oppressed with needs, and they say, look, we need to be devoted to teaching and really the administration of the church. Let us raise up, and this is where the first word minister comes from, deacons, uh, so to make sure for the care specifically of the ethnically Greek Christians who are not being cared for. Let them do this, men of God. Um, you know, and what we believe at Sandals Women can can be ministers as well, mm-hmm. uh, men or women of God to care for the needs of the church. And so what ministers are at Sandals Church is a lot of them are people who have professional. They're ministers, but what they do is soul care. Yeah, yeah. So so they have full-time jobs, but they're mm-hmm. ministers. And what they do is their ministry at Sandals Church is to listen and direct what is the Spirit of God saying. And so that for us is usually one session or two sessions. And so the mm-hmm. idea of soul that's care. That's like a front line when yeah. you see like that's in the lobby, that's in the yeah. front of the auditorium. And at that point, that licensed minister who's doing the soul care can either say like, let's get you a meeting with one of our pastors. Yeah. Or let me direct you to counseling. How to get to counseling? Yeah. There's sort of that front line on yeah, helping us help people. Yeah. So the, yeah. So they're the front line determining because at Sandals Church, Emma, you know, there's thirty thousand people who call Sandals Church home. Every one of them thinks they need to talk to me. So, so not everyone, but a lot. And so that creates huge <laughs> challenges for us as a church because you can imagine, like the, the 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 backlog that Moses received when he was making every decision. Mm-hmm. You have to utilize other gifted people in the church, and so. The soul care people are the people that respond to prayer requests. They prayer are needs. invaluable. Yeah, in they're, they're, like, they're the frontline warriors yes, of our church, so, and we're so grateful for them. Thank yeah. you to everyone who does that. If you're listening, I'm just going to take yeah. this opportunity. So, so that's what it is. Uh, we have a guy uh, named Dan Crowley at our church. Actually, he's done some training in Grand Rapids. And so um, 
specifically, I think, for the Methodist Church up there. That's mm-hmm. why we were up there doing mm-hmm. soul care training for their pastors. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just basically the art of listening to what the person is sharing and then listen to what the Spirit of God is saying and then directing them. That's mm-hmm. spiritual direction yeah. is another thing that soul care is, is called. Mm-hmm. But I think it's really important, Emma. I think that what you and your husband do is is yeah. so important, and I would not get rid of that. We're actually moving towards more counseling at mm-hmm. our church because the issues are so specific. So great question. Yeah, that, I'm just going to break that down one time. So we have soul care. Those are licensed ministers, volunteer teams at our church that we provide training for or they have it already and so they volunteer in that way because that's their gifting they will meet with people here and initial sometimes though that is i just need prayer i'm losing my job i need prayer um i lost my job i can't pay my rent i need prayer because my marriage is broken up my kid has cancer like some of it is yeah i forgot to mention that it's so it's so much can be prayer directed sometimes it's i'm lonely i feel lost let me get you in a group they really are just the, such gatekeepers mm. for the people that attend our church, which is so. But they are the they are the front lines, and I forgot this yeah. of benevolence. Yes. So if you yes. can't pay your rent, if you can't pay mm-hmm. your gas bill, you're going to come in for soul care, mm-hmm. and and the reason for that is we don't just want to feed people; we want to care for their soul. So and then that in that meeting, there yeah. may be a trickier situation right. that's more complex, has some different complexities, and that's when they'd be like, "Let me connect you with one of our pastors on staff, either yep. the campus pastor or the other pastors at any campus or our, our campus." Um, for a little bit more in-depth counseling. And then from there, there they may see, and we do have, this is the the end of that question, do we have a a vetted care, like people from the church? We do. We vet a list of local counselors to each campus. Mm -hmm. We do have criteria that we're looking for when we choose who we are going to recommend people to. We do want them to be Christian. We do want it to be faith-based for where we are going to encourage our people yeah. to go to actual licensed trained yeah. therapy counselors. So such a good question. And I hope this, if you're listening from Sandals Church and you didn't know we have that process, yeah. now you do that you can find soul care, any of the campuses in the lobby or campus pastor, any of our team mm-hmm. can help you if you need some um, spiritual direction. Or yeah. And if you feel so. like that's your spiritual gifting, you know, Melody just preached a sermon a couple weeks ago on serving the church. If you feel like God's gifted you to care for people. Or you were trained. And, yeah. and yeah, and you can come in and get training uh, through us for soul care to be one of those frontline people that helps. So absolutely, great question. All right, this next question is from Robin from Washington D.C. It says this: What would cause a man or husband to never initiate the tough conversations, even if it is meant saving his marriage? I get that feeling. My husband is too much of a coward to initiate repair, even though it could stop a divorce. I've seen it in his friendships, too, where he passively lets them go if things get tough or awkward. Yeah. <laughs> I have some thoughts, but I'm yeah, going to let you so, start. So I have a book called You. It came out in 2021, and I would encourage you to look at uh, the chapter on the nine. It's it's Abraham. That is the, the passive person, yeah, the peacemaker, so, which so you're y- describing a bit. Yeah, so the nine personality avoids uh, conflict. conflict at all costs. And mm-hmm. so the the underlying moral compass that guides their life is to avoid conflict. The beauty is that they can bring peace. The negativity is that oftentimes in order to avoid conflict, they actually create, create more, more of that. Of mm-hmm. What I would encourage you is just to look at your language. You know, he lacks yes. courage um, and just really say, OK, how can I change my tone? Because so if there's two things, if you're an aggressive personality that wants to deal with issues head on, 
and then your husband or your spouse is a person that's afraid of conflict, if you want him to fix it, what you need to do is be the peacemaker. And that doesn't mean that you don't deal with issues. Mm -hmm. It means that you need to adopt a different strategy in order to help him meet you uh, in in a place where he can resolve conflict. And so what I'm guessing is there's some deep wounding there, Mm -hmm. uh, probably grew up in some kind of abusive family where you just had to kind of be quiet and get along to go along or go along to get along. Or a family that just, that's the, that's the strategy you learned that you don't deal with any conflict. Right. So, you know, you use the word, um, Robin coward, which is in my opinion, that's pretty negative language to say to, to a husband, even though I get the spirit of it, but even in that language, I have to ask myself, how is like, how is the, like, how safe does he feel to approach something if, if he's feeling already defeated by maybe the language you've used towards him in that way? You know, a lot of people who avoid conflict, like you said, Matt, they either grew up in a home where we didn't ever deal with conflict. So it's not that he's a coward necessarily. It's he may have never seen it done, modeled for him, how to do it, have the strategies to do it. Or if he has done it, it doesn't feel like a safe space to do it. Mm -hmm. So if he is very high nine on the Enneagram, the peacemaker avoids conflict, pursues peace, he already would struggle with trying to to deal with conflict and so the the assumption I see that you're making here is that um maybe he doesn't care about saving the marriage because he won't have the hard conversations and I would just say you guys need some help speaking each other's language finding some new tools some new strategies maybe your strategy of being aggressive I don't know this but you need to ask yourself are you insulting does he feel like he can does he feel safe to even share with you or is he going to get um, you know, some harsh language or insults to, to that. And again, if you're seeing this in his friendships as well, it's it might not be personal. It really is. He's not wired to deal with conflict maybe as aggressively or as actively as you are, which he can grow in. Because again, like you said, the avoiding conflict mm. usually creates more and it puts a lot at risk if you don't deal with stuff. Yeah, let me say this. So... Um, you know, when you and I go to Israel uh, together, you know that I can speak Hebrew. I want to imagine that I get mad at you because you can't speak Hebrew. Mm. Would that be fair? No. And then every time somebody in Israel tries to speak Hebrew to you, you walk away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So That's a great analogy. So what you're asking him to do is you're asking him to speak the language of conflict resolution. He doesn't have it. Mm-hmm. So what I would say to her, what was her name? Robin. Robin. I would take great peace in the fact that you've seen this in other relationships because that would depersonalize right, it. Right, absolutely. So this is not just about me. This is something that that he struggles with. Mm-hmm. And part of loving your spouse is loving not just their strengths but their weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And what I'm guessing is you're probably an eight on the Enneagram. And oftentimes eight to nights meet because he loves your directness and firmness and you love the peace that he brought at yeah. first. And so that was what initially brought you together. But now you're Drives seeing you you're seeing some <laughs> of the weaknesses of the nine, but he's experiencing the aggressiveness of the mm-hmm. eight. Which tends to shut the nine down. Yeah. And so what you need to learn is is how to communicate in such a way that makes him feel safe. Do not compromise. Look, you know, hey, we at some point Absolutely. we need to deal with this. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be when we're angry. It doesn't have to be when we're upset. And then praise him when he does the hard things and he has the hard conversation. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and he and he stays in the fight because what that'll show you is that he does care about you and he does love you. He doesn't want the conflict, but he does want you. And when you're dealing with someone who avoids conflict, there's so many things outside of the conflict that can be strategies that you can have, Robin. I mean, right? I'm assuming that the end goal for you is a good relationship with right. your husband, dealing with these things and growing closer. So things that you you can't control how he is, but what you can control is your tone your tenacity, um, your volume, the aggression that your body is speaking. The other things is like you and I have had to learn this. Um, I know we're using the Enneagram, but it's such a great tool for understanding how to have conflict despite what your number is. But I'm high six on the Enneagram, so that is the person that struggles with fear. Right. And you are high three, so the struggle, or what you is for failure. Right. And so one of the things that Matt and I do when we remember to do that is to, we start off remembering the other person's fear. Right. Speaking to that. A few questions ago, we, we talked about hearing words that mean what you fear they meant instead yeah. of what they actually mean. You know, so I know that when I come with to Matt with a hard conversation or something I'm going to criticize... Immediately he feels like I failed. I failed. Which fail, fear of failure is his number one motivator of like I when I he feels like a failure he's out. Mm-hmm. Just in the same way you're saying for your husband Robin that he's out. He distances. Um, Matt will do that as soon as he feels like I'm just like you're a failure husband. And for me it's fear. Mm-hmm. And so when I do that with you, I'll say like, here's the things that you're doing so good at to, mm-hmm. to just like remind you, you're not a failure, which already kind of sets a footwork for right. us to deal with whatever. Because if you feel like a failure, anything I say past that, you're not even going to yeah. hear. For me, you start with, because my fear is he has a criticism of me. He doesn't love me. We're getting divorced. And when our kids were little and my kids are going to starve to death because I don't have a full-time job and we're all going to die. Like, yeah. Uh, hello into my insight mind but you'll start with me i'm not going anywhere right i love you and i'm not going anywhere and we're we're safe so we start with putting aside the fears that we're both bringing into the conflict that we're going to have which just sets you up for better but i do need to talk about this one thing so for you i'll start with you know you're doing so good at this i love how you're doing this thank Mm. you for working hard at this but i do want to talk about this one thing and Mm. you'll start with here's we're not breaking up we're not getting divorced i'm going nowhere i'm not i'm never leaving you Mm -hmm. once i feel safe with you I can hear anything you have to say. Right. And so for you, Robin, that's that's some of the things I would really press into is... Yeah, like her language, instead of saying he won't fight for the marriage, so that's what an eight says. I would say the way that we can experience more peace in our marriage is when you're willing to talk about some of the things that are creating this mm-hmm. to be not a place of peace for yeah. me. Or it, not dealing with this, creating yeah. a conflict. Like, I, I don't, yeah. I want us to be close. I want us to be at peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah kind of a thing so that i mean this is such a good question yeah and in the same way in the same way that she's concerned that he needs to always run away i would ask do you need to always have something to fight about because Mm. eights eights like to dust it up and so yeah yeah. you know many people and i hear this all the time you know they they, pick pick your battles pick your fights is this something for him 
that yeah. you guys have to deal with? Is there something that you need to deal with yeah. between you and God? Mm-hmm. And so such a good question. I'm sorry that's a difficult situation, Robin. Matt and I have been there. We're coming up on 28 years of marriage. When I tell you we've been there, we have been there and had we've had to... I don't know that we speak each other's language, although we are dressing identical these yeah. days. We still do not speak each other's language. Oh, yeah. But what we have done is understand the language the other person speaks, and we try to yeah, to speak it when we can. And, and that's what our prayer will be for you, Robin, with your husband, is that you'll understand that he actually will do anything to not have conflict but conflict is real and so if you want a good relationship with your husband you're going to have to learn how to Mm. approach conflict in a way that doesn't shut him down which might make him safe in a way to come out and engage in conflict in a way that satisfies whatever issues you guys are having but we will pray for you thank you so much for writing in um that's a great question you ready for another yeah all right patrick from Yupatoy, Georgia, says this. Yupatoy. Yupatoy. I think I got it right. Says, um, one week you spoke about how sin is confessed, how sin confessed is absolved and thus forgiven by God. I'd like to hear more about this. I've confessed and prayed, but sometimes things I've done still weigh on me, and I'm afraid I'm not saved. How do you know when you're right with God? That's a good question. Yeah, so there's two verses to understand confession, and most Mm. Christians only know one. So the verse that sounds like he knows is 1 John 1, 9. uh, For when we confess our sins to God, he's faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Mm -hmm. So that's a promise by John. Uh, But then James 5, 16 says, let us confess our sins one One to another so that we may be whole and healed. And if you're watching on YouTube, I want you to notice I, I didn't open my Bible. I don't have any notes in front of me. Those are verses that I've memorized because confession is an important life of the Christian. Mm. Say that again. Confession is an important. essential. Yeah, essential part of of the Christian life. And so when we confess to God, what's his name? Uh, Patrick. Patrick, when we confess to God, we don't have to repeatedly confess. Mm -hmm. Like literally when you're bringing a sin up to God the second time, he's saying what sin? It's gone. It's as far as the east is from the west. But in order to experience healing, what you need to do, and that's not, I'm assuming, you know, let's, let's say I, I looked at pornography one time and I confess that to God, I'm forgiven. Now, if I look at it again, I, I need to go to the Lord again and say, Lord, you know, like we don't, mm. we don't get to confess once and we're good. Like when we, co- when we commit a sin, we need to confess the sin. Um, so, so let's assume he's only done it once. He looked at pornography once. He confessed it and he's good with God, but he doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. And that's because you're missing a key component in healing. So the way that we experience healing, we experience forgiveness from God. We experience healing when we confess to each mm-hmm. other. So you need to be in an accountability group, a small group with Christians that you understand. And you just say, hey, I need to confess something. Mm-hmm. I've already spoken to God about this mm-hmm. and I know I'm forgiven, but I need healing. And so I'm going to share this with you. And then I would just read James 5.16 and mm-hmm. say, this is why I'm doing this. And so when we were in Rome, remember our uh, female bus driver, she, she, I said, well, are you religious? And she said, do you remember what she said? She said, no, I don't believe in confession. So the Roman understanding, the Roman Christian mm-hmm. understanding is you go to a priest and you tell some stranger what you've done or whatever. And so, you know, I, I, I think that there's good and bad to that, at least in, in the concept of the Roman church, the Roman Catholic church, they understand mm-hmm. confession. Mm-hmm. In evangelicals, I hear all the time, well, I just need to confess to God. It's like, well, that's half of it. Mm-hmm. But James says there's another half. And so she doesn't believe in confession, but 
but I do. And I said, well, I do, but we don't have to do it. We get to do it because mm -hmm. it helps us heal. And I shared with her James 5.16 and, you know, her brain kind of. But here's blew. how I've seen this right. help heal confessing the one to another. And like you said, it can be in a small group. Mm -hmm. There are some things that sometimes you're like, I don't want to blurt out to my entire small yes. group. Yes, you don't have to tell um, everyone everything. Yes. And so, or accountability group or a person. We would stress a safe person. Yeah. Some, You know, the vision of sandals is being real with ourselves, God, and others. One thing we learned early on is that's not enough. Yeah. There's the being real, and then there's being the receiver of real. All of us need to work on being a good receiver of real, meaning what do you do when right. someone confesses to you? Mm -hmm. Because the fear is going to be when someone confesses that if I tell you yeah. what I've done, yeah. you're going to be repelled by me, grossed out by me. You're going to abandon me, leave me. All of those fears that the enemy puts on us, mm -hmm. right? Because he wants us to be living in shame. The enemy wants us to be separated from God, to feel like we're not enough, to feel like it. Because then we run to those same things mm -hmm. that we aren't freed from because we're afraid to admit them, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we're, we confess to somebody who can be a good receiver of us being real, yeah. um, and they look at us with the eyes of God to say, like, I, is that it? Yeah. Okay, you did that. I still love you. Mm -hmm. I'm still sitting here. How can I pray for you? You're still worthy. Let's not do this anymore because it's hurting you. It's not helping you. Mm -hmm. When you confess something to someone else and you don't experience any of the things that you believed were going to happen because right. you've messed up. Yeah. And they still love you, care for you, are, are with you. The power and the weight of that sin vanishes. It yeah. is supernatural right to say like oh because the enemy's like look at you look mm -hmm. what you've done mm -hmm. if anyone knew so this verse is so powerful because that when you do that and right. that doesn't happen by the work of the holy spirit and the person that you're yeah. sharing to mm -hmm. the enemy's voice that voice that you're hearing um patrick will go away right because now you have someone else with you. And so the confessing to someone else, I think really is our spiritual weapon against the enemy has nothing to do with, mm -hmm. are we still saved or not saved? Yeah. And so, yeah. So, you know, I believe Patrick that when you become born again, I don't see anywhere in scripture where you can be unborn. So I, I don't do that. So, uh, you know, there are closed fisted issues and there are open handed issues. Closed fisted issues are the things that every Christian everywhere agrees on. So security of the believer is an open-handed issue. So there are Bible-believing good Christians who disagree with me, um, who believe that you can lose your salvation. And they believe that out of Hebrews chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, and there are some other scriptures that seem to indicate that, you know, um, James chapter 2, you, you say you have faith, I'll show you my works. Um, but what I believe is that when we confess and we cry out to God for salvation, we are not saved because we hold on to him. We are mm -hmm. saved because he holds on to us. That's my conviction. Um, but it's not, that's not what everyone everywhere believes. Mm -hmm. And, and I think it's okay for Christians to disagree with me on that issue. So I think that's the issue of salvation is, um, now what I would say is I believe in confidence in my salvation, not arrogance in my salvation. Some yes, people are arrogant great. 
and some of my Calvinistic, I can do whatever. Yeah, my Calvinistic <laughs> brothers and sisters. You know, I yeah. do not believe in arrogance. I do believe in confidence. Yes. Um, the good. Apostle Paul says, "Work out your faith with fear and trembling." But he also says, "I am confident of this: He who began a good work in you will faith. carry it on to the day of Christ mm-hmm. Jesus." That's Philippians one six. So I'm confident. So let me say this. Um, when you confess, if someone's getting ready to confess to you, like people will often say, Pastor, I want to tell you something that you can tell no one. I never agree to that. Yeah, yeah. Ever. Um, and so the first thing I say is, I will say, I will do my best to hold mm-hmm. it what you've said mm-hmm. in confidence. Because we've had a guy at our church confess that he killed someone. And so we're like, okay, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to ask God for forgiveness. Uh, I hear or you. Or like abuse. I hear, I hear well, let's sp- stick with the specific. I yeah. forgive you, but we need to call the police because they're mm-hmm. looking for you. Yeah. And so Sandals Church negotiated the surrender of this man mm-hmm. who had shot and killed a store owner. We, 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 we uh, negotiated the surrender mm-hmm. with the police. So no police were harmed. He wasn't harmed. But we have a responsibility as Christians if a crime has been committed. Yes. Um, to, to do that. There are instances, though, where like I had an instance where a young man was already in jail. He's already in jail. Uh, he's for taking the life of another uh, teenager. And he said, I need to confess to you. So, so that is inadmissible in a court of law. So whatever he tells me in confidence as a pastor, I cannot under oath tell. So so there are some situations where you have a right to tell a pastor or a priest. But if you're not a pastor or a priest, even as a pastor, I, like abuse, I'm I'm mm-hmm. required by law to yeah, turn that yeah. in. Um, like if you're 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 a fugitive at large, you know I'm not going to be like, okay, this is just between us. You know, you killed a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. I got to turn you in. But most things. You know, I just tell people, I'm going to do my very best to hold what you've shared mm-hmm. in confidence. Mm-hmm. But like, let's say you're, you're a spouse and you're, you're, you're cheating on your spouse in such a way that's reckless and putting their health in danger. Like you're sleeping with prostitutes or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sometimes a man will be having sex with other men and that's very dangerous. You know, mm-hmm. ma- male on male sex is a very dangerous way to have sex. Um, and it puts the wife at risk. And mm-hmm. so I would have to say, look, I appreciate your confession, mm-hmm. but she needs to know this because the mother of your children's health Mm-hmm. is at mm-hmm. risk. And so I'm going to give you a couple days to think about this and then... Or tell them yourself. You tell them yourself or I'm going to have to say something because mm-hmm. I don't want... And, and surely yeah. you don't want... Yeah. You know. But let's talk about yeah. just... I want to say ordinary, but like some things you might confess. Like yeah. I've struggled with anger. Yeah. I've drank too much. I looked at porn. I yeah. cheated on this or whatever. Um, I think those things... The, the reason is... Um, and I actually want to speak to anyone else listening if you're a believer about the importance of being a good, what I call a good heart handler, a good receiver of real about your, you know, that is such holy ground when someone is confessing and such an opportunity for us to mirror God back to them. Like, yes, yes, you've blown it. This is why Jesus died for you. Mm -hmm. And now you're aware of it because there are some Christians out there. They couldn't tell you one reason they think, Christ needed to die for them because they were already perfect and they didn't need the cross. When you know what you've done and why you need the cross, it, it just means so much more. Mm -hmm. And when, when someone's confessing something to you, it's such an opportunity for us to be the hands and feet of Jesus to them. of like, Mm -hmm. yeah, okay. And how are you feeling? I'm feeling terrible. I'm feeling guilty. I'm feeling shame. And that's why God doesn't want this for you. It's because he loves you. But guess what? Even in all this, he still died for you on the cross. He's still forgiving you. He still sees you as more. The healing that Mm -hmm. happens in that takes away what Patrick is talking about here about Mm -hmm. 
still feeling yeah, all yeah. the weight of that. Now, Patrick, there are some curious questions to think about, like, have you confessed something, but then you're recircling back to it. Yeah. Um, is that why you're feeling that? But I, we would recommend, and back to the question previous, is you if you don't feel like you have someone like that in your life, come and talk to someone in soul care. Yeah. That's what they do. They will mirror back the way that Jesus sees you and how he feels about you and how he loves you and mm-hmm. why you matter and how you are not the, the total sum end of every mistake and sin that you've done. So yeah. that confessing to one another is such key. Yeah. So that's a really profound question, Patrick. And I, I want everyone who feels that way to um, be listening. But I also want to encourage everyone else of how important it is of how you handle people confessing to you. Yeah, so, and you and I just had an issue, and, and this is how important confidence is. You had a woman come to you and just in tears because she made the assumption that I communicated to you her confession. Remember that? That was like a month ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I sat down with her and her husband, and I said, I only share things with my wife that she needs to know, and your confession was not something that she needs Mm -hmm, to know. mm -hmm. But her assumption was that whatever she told me, I told you. And that that really frustrated me that what I want Christians to understand is that if I'm sharing something with you that you don't need to know, it's gossip. And that is a sin that is just as bad as many of these sins that people are confessing. Mm -hmm. And I just had to share with her, I've made it a practice um, to listen to offer forgiveness, to pray, and I move on. I don't, I don't dwell on it, and I don't share it. But that was so hard for her because she broke down in tears in front of you. You remember you said mm-hmm. you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And it's just, I, I that you know, I, I feel for her. She's mm-hmm. a friend of ours, mm-hmm. but it makes me sad that the assumption is that mm-hmm. when you share and confess, that it's going to be reshared, mm-hmm. and I only reshare if I have to. And, and that's, you know, if it's an employee, I have to share up or, or I have to share out. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I, and I would just say, you know, how important that is, is we get to be a part of people's healing and wholeness or breaking them even more because the worst thing that can happen is you, they share something they're already afraid to share. Mm -hmm. They're already feeling conviction, conviction and shame and everything else. And then you, layer on that with your own judgment gossip if it gets outside of that so christians hear me say how important this is so such a good question um so many great questions thank you so much um so thank you everyone for listening to this week matt thank you for having me as your co-host and you can submit more questions like this or if you have any questions from the sermons either matt's or any of other communicators that you want answered on the debrief this is the place to go deeper and you can do that by submitting them to move.se slash ask anytime or go to the Sandals Church app. So I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Debrief Podcast with Matt Brown. If you enjoyed this episode, consider liking, subscribing, and sharing it with a friend. If you would like to submit a question to Pastor Matt, you can do so at move.se slash ask. And if you would like to support the work we are doing, consider donating at donate.se. Thank you again and have a blessed day.